Hello and welcome back to the Scottish Garden Podcast. This episode is for daffodil lovers everywhere as I chat to Caroline Thompson of Backhouse Rossi, location of Scotland's Daffodil Festival. Backhouse Rossi is located in Fife near Cooper and holds the national collection of Backhouse Daffodils. It's an RHS partner garden, a wedding venue, and in the estate there's also a walled garden with themes of art and science and the longest scented rose archway in Scotland. There's lots to enjoy at any time of year, but in spring, at the time of making this particular episode, Backhouse Rossi is home to thousands of daffodils and a place host to the Scottish Daffodil Festival. It's an online event this year, so anyone at all can enjoy talks, virtual tours and workshops. If you love daffodils, it's really worth a look because it's such a celebration of this spring flower. Caroline Thompson herself is a direct descendant of the Backhouse family who are well-known horticulturalists and daffodil breeders. In our conversation, we talk about the family history with daffodils as well as their surprising modern links with science and pharmaceuticals. And we talk about her rewilding efforts at Backhouse Rossi and the ethos of the estate, which has a real emphasis on sustainability and biodiversity. We began our chat by talking about the upcoming festival, which is usually held at the estate, but this year it's gone virtual. The Daffodil Festival, it's virtual this year, which is a, which is a first for us. The positive in that is that anyone from anywhere in the world who's interested in daffodils can join in and come for a walk around the garden with me on the 17th. So it runs on the 17th and 18th of April, 10 o'clock till 5 o'clock. I I started on the 17th with a walk around the garden just to set the scene with the backhouse daffodils. And then Dr. David Willis will take the next session. He is the expert um, with this project he's a friend and a daffodil expert he, I would say his specialist subject is backhouse daffodils and it was serendipity that we met and got on and have developed the collection over the last oh many many years now his talk is a fireside chat about the twists and turns of the journey to find a lost daffodil, which was the most important daffodil in daffodil breeding history. It's called Weirdale Perfection. It was a successful journey. It took 10 years. Um, The bulb was sent off to the labs in Holland for testing. And the 21 identifying features, it matched and it's believed it's the correct so we're all delighted Um, we have a few of those narcissus growing here very few Um, and we're we're so pleased to be able to um, hear David he's written this and he's narrating it himself and it's a it's a rare treat to hear the man himself talk about the journey and and the bar so we're looking forward to that 
you have a quite a, a, a varied program of talks and well walks and talks and panels and things like that throughout the festival isn't that right Yes, it is. We've got some of the most famous bulb growers in the world, which is lovely. So Adrian Scamp from um, Quality Daffodils is going to be here. They were awarded Master of Grower of the Year by the RHS, which is the just the top award. And so you can imagine their daffodils are stunning, beautiful, wonderful. And they've been made, made available for sale. So that's really nice. There's some workshops going on about how to plant bulbs and uh, companion planting for bulbs. Then we've got um, Duncan, who we were talking about earlier, the moth expert, Duncan Davidson, who's a local expert, who's talking about moths and butterflies that um, haven't been seen in Fife before, but have been spotted here. And Fife's own Christopher Trotter, who, who um, was in a Michelin-starred kitchen, and he's now Fife's food ambassador doing seasonal cooking, so spring recipes, things to eat and delight yourselves whilst having your vases of daffodils on the dining table. So that, that's the Saturday. The Sunday, again, is ring haddy daffodils. I saw ring haddy daffodils in America. I was asked over there to um, speak at the, uh, the World Convention, and I walked in and and Ring Haddy's daffodils were on the stand, Neil, Watson, Neil Watson's daffodils were on the stand, and they actually took my breath away. They were so, so beautiful. So I think it's a, a rare treat for people to be able to listen to Neil and walk through his fields. He lives on an island um, off the coast of Ireland, so the sea views are amazing, and I think people will love his talk and love his daffodils. Then there's uh, Andrew, my husband, talking about the development of the estate, and Tim, finally the lead gardener, taking everybody for a very nice walk, a spring walk through the garden and grounds that day. It sounds brilliant. So I suppose the big question is, and I know the answer, but for the listeners who don't know much about um, uh, uh, your sort of association with daffodils, why daffodils? What What is the the link? Why are you the holder of Scotland's you know daffodil festival why the link my ancestors from the mid 1800s to the mid 1900s over three generations for a period of just over a hundred years bred daffodils they were extraordinary groundbreaking daffodils many firsts and um, William Backhouse was the first in the dynasty and he was born in 1807. He, did, he died in 1869 and he produced a lot of his daffodils towards the end of his life. But he was breeding daffodils at a time when they weren't really admired as flowers or considered to be worthy of getting involved with. They were thought of as little wildflowers, really, the, the kind of thing that Wordsworth talked about um, dancing in the breeze. And possibly the reason for that is daffodils were brought over to, um, to the UK in about 1200 from the Mediterranean. And at that time, there were only about 50 varieties. And still up to about 1860, there were only about another 350. So maybe 50 daffodils bred each year over a period of about 350 years. So they weren't... They weren't just weren't very 
popular in those days. In about the mid 1800s, though, there was a surge of interest with um, in Britain with several hybridists um, producing interesting new varieties. But of those new varieties, actually, Williams were the most important. He created something called Narcissus Emperor and Narcissus Empress. They were the first two triploid daffodils, well, one of the first two triploid daffodils, and then the first tetraploid daffodil, which is Weirdale Perfection, the one that David is going to be talking about at the festival. That's a very important daffodil. It changed daffodil breeding in this country forever. And Britain still supplies 90% of the world's daffodil needs. And in some ways, this goes back to the first advances we made in this country um, in those early days, producing daffodils that were more vigorous, uh, healthier, stronger, could make the trip down to London, to Covent Garden for selling as cut flowers and strong, healthy bulbs. And the amount of daffodils that you can then hybridize to breed from a tetraploid would far exceed the early diploids or the triploids. So in Britain, we were creating then more varieties, better varieties, more interesting varieties. And people suddenly realised that this was a flower that in the Victorian age, you could put in a cut glass vase in a drawing room rather than a jam jar in, in the kitchen. I didn't realise actually just what um, just the, how much the UK was a producer of daffodils and the fact that you know so many the, the the majority the vast majority are sort of produced or originated here. That was something that was quite surprising to me. Actually, I suppose I never really thought about it before. But but yeah, to know that UK is really such a big producer is quite significant. It is significant, and it's still significant now because the the infrastructure is still in the UK and has been kept going in the UK. It's a viable industry in the UK. So the large um, chemical companies, drug companies, um, who are looking to extract the chemicals from daffodils have settled on the UK as, as the base that they'd, they'd, they'd like to be in. And the current the current thing of interest is something called galanthamine, which is um, an alkaloid found in daffodils. The specific varieties of daffodils have a greater quantity, which is easier to extract. It's, it's quite a difficult um, chemical to extract, but the um, synthetic galanthamine is, just isn't working. I'm not a scientist, so it's a lay lay terms but is is simply not working as well as the as the natural form found in daffodils there have been various tests done from the beacon which is the scientific part of Aberystwyth University and Warwick University I think and and now actually various other places in the world um Carlton is is the is the daffodil of choice at the moment it, People used to talk about the small Welsh daffodil on, on the hillsides, high up on the hillsides, and it produced galanthamine as a sort of form of, um, when it was, it was shock really because of the altitude. 
as a defense mechanism. But Carlton produces it naturally in large quantities. Also, it's a bigger daffodil with longer leaves and just simply a large, larger amounts can be extracted because of the way in which they grow it um, for chemical extraction. Uh, it's, it's harvested, the bulbs aren't dug up, it's not harvested in that way, they just slice off the top parts of the leaves and leave enough for the for photosynthesis to happen and the bulb will um, stay in the ground um, for a few years. Now that is something that I just did not know about daffodils at all, this link with um, with science and with, with, with drugs, I guess. Um, that's that's so interesting. I mean, it, it sort of casts a different light on the flower, which is so often just associated with spring and Wordsworth and on all these sorts of things. But really, obviously, it can be, um, you know, it's a resource. It's a, something which can be beneficial to, to us, I suppose, to wider society. Yes. Yes, I, I think it's very, I think plants are very interesting in that they generate chemicals which can cure people, support people, kill people, and relieve pain in people. That that resource is there. And as a as a bigger picture of how we live in the world and what as humans and and what activities we do within the world, there is a balance which seems to me to be refound. And galanthamine, for me, is something that is important because my, my relatives were Quakers and there was much that they did to try and improve the world that they were in. And I was very pleased to be asked to be part of the Glanthamine trials. So a so, um, new daffodil out in the market, we will be trialing here um, as a site in Scotland to see how, how that works in comparison to a site in England. Um, and so we'll be interested to see what the results are and hope that we can contribute in some way. Um and what is the aim of the trial? What what are the what is the hope that the drug will be able to do ultimately? Well, actually, at the moment, um, glanthamine is uh, there's a drug out called Reminol, which is in every high street chemist. It's used to treat um, mild to moderate Alzheimer's. It's a process. Uh, it's um, glanthamine is a um, cholecystokinin inhibitor and allows one neuron to speak to another neuron to leak the synapse, really. It doesn't cure Alzheimer's, but it does hold it back. Mm -hmm. Um, And that that, that patent has expired, but has been, the drug has been approved by all the um, medical hoops that people have to jump through in order to get a new drug approved so there's a lot of interest in that right now fascinating and i think so that leads us quite nicely into what i think from what i can tell that your garden and your estate is is all about actually it's although up front 
you know, it's the daffodils because they are obviously in abundance. And, and it's the first thing you see, especially at this time of year, whenever you were to go to Backhouse Rossi. But um, you you have themes of science and art and, and a real fa- family history, which seems to run right through your garden and um, and right up to today to, to you and your husband, Andrew, right? Um, well, we we came here in 20, two, 2005 is is when we is when we came here and it was um run down really but it was albeit run down it was the wall garden that held my heart as soon as I walked in it I knew we were going to come here and I should have looked more closely at the house and various other things, but I didn't. And so my heart continues to be held by the wall garden and a lot of work has has taken place in there. We have the longest rose archway in Scotland, which divides the garden from east to west. And that, um, and the roses that grow over that are of white semi-double roses with long stamens and so the bees love them and there's a beautiful lemon scent when you walk through it but it's over a DNA pathway made from cobbles in the shape of a double helix and filled in with white crushed shells. I hadn't realised but when I was looking for a design or a theme all garden design that could be rolled out into various areas of the garden, that my husband and my co-joined initials, I'm Caroline Georgina, he's Andrew Thompson, so CG80, are the same initials as the base pairs of DNA. And as my relatives have improved plants across several genera, meaning that less chemicals need to be used. They are more vigorous, more healthy plants. So they were in those early days being a bit like a bee would be or an insect um, uh, with a a sable brush, but nonetheless creating these much improved um, cultivars. You can walk down the DNA pathway and branch out into various areas with different genera and then rejoin the pathway at any point. The Centromere sculpture in the middle has our initials on it, and there is a, a there is a hidden clue in there. And at one point, we had a competition with if anybody could crack the code, they would win this bottle of wine. And the bottle of wine is still sitting there. We have lots of very eminent professors who took photographs and had to be told, no, you really must work it out in the garden, not shuffle off at us to your study. That's not fair to the other people. Um, so we we wait to see if anybody does. Oh, wow. That's lovely. I love that idea. <laughs> so, um, and art is a big thing for you in particular. I believe you're an artist yourself, right? Yes. I, um, I, I Yes, I have an MA. Um, in 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 um, art and design, with a bit of philosophy thrown in for good measure, um, and I have taught a bit over the, over the years as well. 
So it was, and I've also worked in other people's gardens over the years. My first job was on the schools in St Andrews, weeding gardens um, when I was at school on Saturdays. And I continued down that path and was interested in in gardening and so and art kind of art won out and went to art school so it was actually lovely to come here and play really with ideas and work things through recycling um, and reusing matters here a lot the stone slabs on the the gardens divided into four quarters but all the slabs came from uh, Greenock Harbour, which was an arts development, actually. Um, and so although they're a little heavy because they're from the docks, so the large lorries would have driven over them and we don't actually need them that that deep. They, they've worked out very well in the garden. And the cobbles for the DNA pathway, they came from the Edinburgh tramline work. And various the centromere in the in the central bed, that was the outside disintegrating sandstone from the gable end of the cathedral, a, a local cathedral, the rose window, and so that sits on the ground. So it, it, we it's lovely. I mean, we just repair the bits that that break off. It's safe on the ground, so it's nice. So all of those things have not come far. Um, and for me as an artist, it's quite important to me that um, I tread lightly in the world and put something back into it, that there's a give, give and take in, in that. I love that ethos. And I think it's really interesting that it's something which is very current, I suppose, to talk about recycling and sustainability and all this sort of thing but you've obviously you guys and you in particular have been doing it for a long time and it's something that you've obviously introduced as you've re- developed and redeveloped um the estate and the gardens and you were telling me in fact that um another another issue that people talk about a lot at the moment is rewilding and you've had a project on the go for some years as well yeah yes about uh, 16 and a half years now it's um the former Rossi Loch was the largest stretch of freshwater in Fife. So the land here, it was drained over a period that started in 1635, 1669, 1711, 1720, 1740, and 1805. It went on and on and on, this attempt to drain the loch when farmland was more important than water. And actually, the land would really quite like to return to being a bit of that loch. The older that we have been looking at it's all the car that we've um that as you say and the word now is re- rewilding but that wasn't the word when we started this project the older car the woodland well the car part really just refers to wet woodland um and it's a rare type of woodland um and it's an excellent carbon store so that's why we started this project and it's a good habitat for sedges and reeds and mosses and lichens the things that I'm interested in 
and some of the ferns indeed we're starting a fern walk we're working with um heather mccaffey from the royal botanic gardens edinburgh she's a fern expert so there's a fern trail that will work through this uh, um, around the sort of the edge of this area but we're aware that we're increasing the bird populations there and would include tree creepers and um, siskin, which eat the, the little seeds and snipe, woodcock and warblers. It's a great habitat for invertebrates um, and insects and butterflies and moths, beetles, spiders, worms, mollusks such as slugs and snails. And their role in the ecosystem is important as they turn natural waste into fertile soil and they pollinate our flowers and the fruit and the trees and the crops that we have here. We, um, our apple trees in particular are turned into apple juice and cider and the vegetables and flowers we use a lot in the cafe. We talk about food, um, really food yards as opposed to food miles. And so this increase in the birds, birds is important because they eat the pests and diseases in the garden. So we end up with a with a with an ecosystem that works here. And I often think we are in a little bubble. You do walk away from the world when you come through the doors here. Mm. And a lot of people say it, and I think it's right. And I'm not sure why but overall I think it's to do with lots of small decisions make a bigger one yeah yeah I think that's that's amazing and quite inspiring to have created something like that and and I suppose I hope people listening don't think oh well I don't have a you know a massive estate and rolling acres to be able to do something like that but it's something that people can do no matter what sort of space they've got if you've got a garden of any size you can create your own little ecosystem, can't you? And you can sort of, you manage it so you can decide these small decisions, um, you know, when to cut things back or not to cut them back or what to grow or what not to grow, right? Yes, I think, I think so. I mean, we, uh, and uh, I mean, I met Andy a long time ago. Andy moved next door to where we lived in Edinburgh when he was a student at the university there. And we had a flat, a house with not much of a garden, more of a balcony. And so I would agree with you. These are things that you can do in a small way. We we initially got involved with biodynamics, um, which is just another, it's another way of thinking and even the smallest things. I think even, yes, I, I think that's really fundamental even the smallest things make a difference and that it doesn't matter where you live you can make that difference actually how <laughs> just how what you're cooking what you're buying what transport you're taking what clothes you're buying it's every it's the little things really mm-hmm. it sounds like you you're um you, you must be quite proud of what you've achieved there actually over the years because you've obviously transformed it quite significantly in terms of in terms of the collection the daffodils alone but also in terms of the wider space well we've um, we are an rhs partner garden now which i do feel an achieve i do feel achieved 
in that because of working in gardens for a long time. It did feel nice when they said yes, as the RHS is, is a horticultural body that I I look up to. I would say when I am in the garden, and I worked with a gardener a long time ago, and he always said, just lift your head up and stop looking at all the problems down there. Just lift your head up and and it's it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful Caroline, it's beautiful Caroline, as as I was worrying, worrying, worrying. And I think that it's the same as anything that you do on an inch by inch basis. You are very aware of all the things that you could do better. You'd like to change, the weather was terrible, you'd have loved to have got to that, but you didn't, and that's gone for this year, and you try and get back next year. Oh, and it's now slipped again. And it's a uh, I I'm not sure feeling proud fits in there at all. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't got to that point. (laughs) I think that's another useful lesson for people, isn't it? Look up whenever you're in your garden and, you know, don't worry about all the weeds that you're sort of trying to hoik out because they keep coming back or, you know, the seedlings that seem to have died off or whatever. It's just, you know, it's all the little things that make up that sort of overall joy, I think, isn't it? Yes. Yes, it is. And, and it's really nice when gardeners who've been doing this for a long time say it, because you know it's real. <laughs> well, let's come back to the daffodils just for um, a, a few minutes before we finish off. Because um, I'm keen to know, do you have, with all of the m- absolute multitude of varieties, I can't remember how many varieties cultivars you've actually got on site, but with all the many that you've got there, have you got a favourite? No, I don't. <laughs> Um, I, I yeah well they change my favorites change um I think it's difficult there isn't it it's like choosing a favorite child I, I don't think it's possible it's um but there are hundreds of hundreds to choose from aren't there yeah there are nearly 30,000 registered daffodils wow in the international RHS international daffodil and classification list other in also known as the bible um, if you're a daffodil nut. For me personally, I like simpler daffodils. Uh, 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 the big complex ones are not for me. I like the ones that are sort of little floaty ones. Um, some of my unnamed ones are my favourites, actually. Uh, and I, I don't mind, they have not a name. I like the beauty of the flower over and above everything. Um, Nivalis I quite like if I had to maybe choose one I do quite like Nivalis it's pure white little triandrous daffodil with two or three droplet bell shaped heads and it sparkles it's white and sparkling Mrs Lantry is another one with a little bell shaped head and then, and that one is has, has a beautiful sheen to it I like Mrs R.O. Backhouse I think as a person, she was an extraordinary hybridizer, and this daffodil bears her name. It's a sort of salmon pink cup to it that changes through the season from sort of corally pink to a darker pink and fades slightly. And this lovely, lovely ivory periant segments and a very pretty, glaucous, bluey green leaf. So that the, the whole picture of it is very, very attractive. It stands up nicely. So Perhaps Navalis and Mr. Backhouse, if I had to be forced, but this may change more. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, um, I think there's only one place to go if you are into daffodils, and that's obviously Backhouse Rossi Estate. <laughs> and uh, hopefully when we're allowed back to actually come in person, um, I think I would urge loads of people to go and just check it out. But in the meantime, 17th and 18th of April is the virtual festival, right? Yes. So, um, And you can go online to your uh, website and buy tickets there, I think. Yes, you can go on. It's backhouserossi.co.uk and there's more information and tickets on the site. You can also, there's a phone number as well. If the, if you have any queries, do just phone us. Mm-hmm. We're also open for just the garden only and the, and the cafe. And we, I really want to say we're very grateful indeed, especially in these difficult times with people coming to see us and supporting buying season tickets and garden tickets we genuinely have exactly the same amount of work to do so we really do appreciate the support right now my thanks to caroline thompson from backhouse rossi for such a fascinating chat about the diversity of daffodils and if you're hungry for more and you're listening to this prior to 17th and 18th of April 2021, then head on over to the Backhouse Rossi website to buy your tickets for the festival because there's lots more where that came from. I'll put links in the show notes. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Scottish Garden podcast. I'll be back soon with some more great guests. Keep an eye on social media for more details of these and the upcoming sustainability season. Until next time, be happy and well in your garden. Goodbye.